What a wonderful God we have. Jesus said not one of his sheep will be lost. In due season they'll be brought in. And what a wonderful thing that just blessed my heart, brother. Psalms 33, again, if you would, while you're turning, I want to thank you guys again for the food that's been provided for us. It's been great. Thank you for the uh, hotel room again. It's been wonderful. The accommodations has been great. Good to be with you here tonight and these last couple of days. Good to see the ones that hadn't been here, the ones from Coweta and our friends from... Uh, Edmund now, used to be Carthage, but Edmund, good to have them with us tonight, good to see the Paros, I hadn't got to see them in a long time, it's good to be with them, good to see everybody, if I missed anybody, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, I'm good to see you too. Psalm 33, if you would, we're going to begin reading again um, at verse 8, and read down to verse 11, it says, Fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart, to all generations. Now, as Brother Royce mentioned last night, uh, we looked at the eternality of God's purpose. And as we see here in verse 11, we've seen that his thoughts, the thoughts of his hearts were into all generations. And as I mentioned that last night, I mentioned that for his thoughts to be to all generations, that meant that his thoughts had to exist before any generation. Before it could be taught to the first generation, it had to have already been thought of. It already had to be purposed. And so therefore, God has purposed, began before anything ever existed. We also talked a little bit, and I explained at least my understanding, that there is a difference somewhat in the thoughts and the counsel and the purpose of God. The thoughts of, of, of God are His uh, inmost thoughts that motivate Him to act. And the counsel of God is that counsel amongst the Godhead into the purpose that will be taking place. They counsel among themselves in what the thoughts of God's heart, how that's going to be enacted. And therefore, there comes forth a purpose. And in that purpose, God carries out the decree that He has made from eternity. And so we see here, the Bible says, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. And so we spent most uh, all of last night talking about the eternality of God's purpose, how it all began before the foundation of the world. But tonight, brethren, as good as last night was in the fact that we found out that through God's purpose being eternal, that salvation in and of itself can't be messed up. It can't be gained, it can't be lost, it can't be earned. Man has no hand upon salvation because salvation was determined before the foundation of the world. And so the fact that we rejoice in everything that God has predestinated being absolute and eternal means that man cannot mess up God's plan. Adam, whenever he ate of the fruit, did not mess up God's plan. God did not decide to elect somebody after the fall of Adam because Adam messed up plan A. 
It was always in the purpose of God to do this because God, before the foundation of the world, had elected a purpose, and we found that out last night through Scripture, that God's purpose is according to election. And therefore, God had purposed before the foundation of, of the world to have a people that was perfect in Christ, but imperfect in Adam. And therefore, He sent a man into the world and created that man and prepared that man for the purpose so that sin and death might enter into the world. So that His people that would come could be redeemed. And through that redemption, His Son would have everlasting glory. That's the gospel in its earliest forms. Preached even in the garden. Whenever God Himself clothed Adam and Eve. Whenever their suit of fig leaves wouldn't do. We see the gospel buried in everything throughout God's Word. And we know that God has preached the gospel from the very beginning to the very ending. It's not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. It goes back to the very beginning when God made man. His gospel went back into eternity. God has a gospel that is an eternal gospel, and we are grateful for that. And we see the manifesting. We see the, as we talked about last night, how, how the gospel brings it to light, how it enlightens us, it informs us, it tells us what God has before the foundation of the world already determined. But brethren, there's something that even though it's eternal and man can't put his hands on it, we have something else in God's Word that gives us confidence and hope. And that's the fact that God's counsel, which His electing purpose is part of His counsel, it's immutable. It can't be changed. Look with me at verse 11. It says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. If something stands forever, it means it cannot fall. If it stands forever, it means it began standing whenever it began, and it will continue to stand as far as it will continue to stand, and there will never be a falling of His counsel. His counsel is sure. It cannot be moved. It cannot be swayed. As I mentioned last night, God is self-sufficient. Whenever God counseled among Himself and the thoughts of His heart, His desire his desire isn't something that comes from something that he's deficient of or something that man presses upon him. His desire is the very thing that is of his heart that he himself in his self-sufficiency is motivated to do. And he was motivated within himself to set his love upon a people and to put them into Christ. Unite them with his Son and see them in his Son. The Bible speaks that blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin, that's us in Christ Jesus. And listen, brethren, that counsel will not fall. It will stand forever. In Numbers chapter 23, if you want to turn there with me, Numbers 23 and verse 19, the Bible says this, a promise to us. It says, God is not a man that He should lie. Now, if any of you have been around the block a few times, you know that men lie. If you watch TV, you know men lie. If you pay close attention to politics, you know men lie a lot. 
But brethren, we also know that found in so-called churches, men lie. They lie upon God. But the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. God never has to turn away from something that he's already said. Number one, because everything that he said, he's God and it's going to do exactly what he says it's going to do. But second of all, everything that God does is righteous and holy. There's nothing to repent of. God cannot sin. Therefore, everything that God does, whether we agree with it or not, or whether we think it's right or not, is righteous and holy. He has no ability to sin. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Did you notice there he said, shall he not do it? He didn't say, hath he said, and then he's turned it loose for us to accomplish it for him? No, he said he will do it. Just like Brother Tom was talking about, that God is in us, it's him that's doing it. It's him doing the work. He's doing it in us. Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? If God has spoken it, he's going to make sure it's going to get done. Like I said last night, God's not like this goalie that's sitting there and every time something's kind of being bounced out of his purpose, he's kind of knocking it back into play and everything. No, not only has God said it, And God has determined that it's going to take place, promised it's going to take place, but Him, by His own providence, by His own work, is bringing out everything to make sure that everything happens exactly as He has decreed. Isaiah 46, we looked at this last night, but I want you to turn there again with me because I want to... Not, not only remind you of this, but see how this ties in to God's purpose being immutable. We know it's immutable because if God says it, it's going to take place. He cannot lie. So God can never go back on the counsel that He has made. Isaiah 46 and verse 9, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. He's reminding us who He is. Remember, I'm not a man that can lie. I am God. Remember, I am a man that cannot be swayed, be, be uh, pressured, be coerced, be tricked. I am a God. There is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Not none in the line of people like me. None. There is none like me. Whenever God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, He didn't mean in order of you know, rank. He meant there shall be no other gods before me because there is no other gods. And there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. And here it is, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and, the, and from ancient times the things that are not done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do, I will do, I will do all my pleasure. He's not asking counsel from anybody else because His counsel is eternal. He's not asking for your opinion because your opinion can change today, tomorrow, the next day, two minutes from now. His counsel shall stand. It's eternal. But whenever He makes counsel, 
and He has purpose, it will not change because He cannot lie. His counsel shall stand. There's a lot of shalls in the Bible that we should stand on. A lot of people today think it says shall, but they think maybe so. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Only if they figure it out and come to Him. Only if they're invited to Him at the altar. Only if they get baptized or only if they join the church. No, no, no. All that the Father giveth me shall. Without doubt, without question, come to me. There's not anybody going to enter into heaven that the Lord has not given faith to come. That word come to me is used synonymously throughout the Scriptures and especially by Jesus for belief. All that the Father giveth me shall believe on me. God gives them faith. Now, if you want to argue about those who doesn't have full comprehension of things, babies and all that kind of stuff, go argue your stuff. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It says, all that the Father hath given me shall come and believe on me. I'll take God's word over theologians' arguments any day. He said, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. What is his counsel? Well, we learned last night that God has declared all things the end from the beginning. And the things that are not yet done. Therefore, everything that transpires from the beginning to the end, so everything that has not yet been done, means that God has determined all things. And as we mentioned last night, we believe absolute predestination. God has predestinated everything. Not just salvation, but everything. If God didn't do so, then the, then the end is unsure. If anything is left up to man in his will, the end is not sure. So brethren, we see that God... And His counsel, His purpose is not only eternal, but it is immutable. Why? Because His counsel shall stand. His counsel was eternal and He has declared everything. Therefore, everything from the beginning to the end is sure because God cannot lie. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Look with me, if you would, at verse 17. Hebrews 6 and verse 17. The Scriptures declare, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. Now, we can't get any clearer than that, right? God's counsel is immutable. Now, I'm assuming everybody knows what immutable means. Immutable means that it doesn't change. That's what immutability means. We are mutable. God is immutable. Okay? We change. God cannot change. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? We are, brethren. We are the heirs of promise. If we are the seed of Abraham, we are Abraham's seed. We are the heirs of promise. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of the promise, but it's the children of the Spirit. It's the children who are the children of faith. It is Christ's children that are the children of the promise. He says, 
under the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Now, God confirmed it by an oath. That's pretty serious business. God was serious about wanting somebody to know something. He said that by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? God's counsel and his oath. God's counsel is immutable. God's oath is immutable because he can't lie. Remember, we just read that. He, can't, he cannot lie. He says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. So, brethren, why am I preaching last night's message and this, night, uh, this message tonight? That you might have consolation. Not only in your God, but in His salvation. In His gospel. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Brethren, what a hope we have. We have an anchor for the soul because we have a God that cannot lie and He has determined all things, the end from the beginning. And praise the Lord, by His grace, we have been included there. I love that song, He included me. He didn't have to include me. He could have very well not included me. I am no different than the ones who are not included. I am just as sinful and just as guilty and deserving of God's wrath, but He included me. Why? Because He loved me. Well, what determined His love for me? I don't know. All I know is the Bible said that it was His pleasure. That's all I can say. I don't know why, but it said it's His pleasure to do so. Turn with me, if you would, back to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, I'm going to get to the gospel part tonight, just like I did last night. But I want to establish first the doctrine of, of God and His immutable counsel. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 24. The scripture says, The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, and we talked about that last night, the thoughts of God to all generations, right? Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. As I have purposed, so, it, or so shall it stand. There we have the very promise of our sovereign God that the thoughts of His heart, the purpose that He has purposed, it's going to come to pass and it's going to stand. You know, I used to preach years ago that we have to get out and scour the earth and hurry, hurry up about it because we got people dying and going to hell that could have been saved if we'd have got there quick enough. Let's pool all the money that we can together because we got to get thousands of people out there to make sure these people get saved. <laughs> get saved. Brethren, Jesus said... Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. As I have purposed it, so shall it stand. Not one. He prayed, didn't he? Not one will be lost. Not one. Now, can God lie? Well, maybe I should ask, do you believe that Jesus is God? <laughs> well, if He is, He cannot lie. In Psalm 89 and verse 34... Bible says, My covenant will I not break, 
nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Now we know that there is a physical aspect to the covenants that God has made with physical men. But we also see that there is a spiritual covenant that God has made. And He didn't make it with men, He made it with Himself. With the Lord Jesus. And He made a covenant. And Jesus as our mediator, Jesus as our, uh, as our substitute, as our surety. I, I, I'm reminded uh, of the passage in Genesis where, um, where uh, Pharaoh had called for Benjamin to be brought to him. And, and, and his brother went and, and told his father, and his father was like, no, you can't take him. That's my, only, that's, that's, my, that's my favorite. I'm not letting you take him. And what did he say? He said, let me take him. He said, I'll go down, and if I do not return with him, then, then let me be blamed. What a beautiful picture that is of Jesus as our surety. I will go down and I will bring them back, and if I don't bring them back, let me be to blame. See, brethren, that's why the efficacious nature of God's salvation is what it is, is because if Jesus doesn't bring back everyone for whom He dies, then He is the one to blame because it has been placed upon His shoulders in the covenant to make sure that all the covenant children that is in Christ be saved. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. If Christ doesn't save His people and bring them back to God from where they came, then He is a failure. And there is a failure Jesus being preached in a lot of churches today, brethren. Be careful what you listen to. He says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God's not going to change His mind. He's not going to change His covenant. We like to kind of... Kind of you know, we, we kind of like to change things up. We might make a, an oath about something, then whenever it doesn't kind of hit right, we're like, well, I kind of want to change that. I'm, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I want to go back on that. Well, God will never do that. That's why we don't believe that we can lose our salvation because God's mind cannot be changed. And what Christ has accomplished, it cannot change either. He's, he's accomplished it. And if He's accomplished it, God has received that by the resurrection. He's received that. And therefore, all the benefits for which Christ died for are ours. We will receive all those things. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What a wonderful promise. The Lord changeth not. Could you imagine if the Lord was mutable, if the Lord did change? Now, brethren, I believed at one time, and I have friends and family that believe this, that Christ could have sinned. Jesus is immutable because He is God. He cannot sin. There is no way that Jesus could have ever, ever sinned. And just because Jesus is immutable and cannot sin doesn't mean that the temptation that He endured while He was here is not something that is just false. The reason that He was tempted was not to get Him to sin. The reason He was tempted was to show our God cannot sin. The reason that Christ was tempted in the desert and Satan was given by God to tempt Him 
was to show us and give us confidence that our God changes not. That there is no sin in Him. Therefore, He changes not. Ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God is not going to change His mind and say, you know, hey, I'm seeing what's going on, especially here in America. I see what's going on. I tell you what, I'm just going to do away with all of it. Everybody's gone. No, sir. No, sir. His people will never be consumed. And then in James chapter 1 and verse 17, we find every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness and no shadow of turning. So now, we've established the doctrine that God and His purpose is immutable. How does that fit with our gospel? With His gospel, I should say. Well, in Psalms 139 and verse 16, beginning with Jesus, and I believe whenever we read the Psalms, is there some application that we can have for ourselves? Yeah, because we're in Christ Jesus. Sorry, brother, I was hitting on the mic on my lapel, I'm sorry. We are in Christ, therefore, a lot of things that are spoken of about Christ, we can apply to ourselves because we are in Him, united to Him. But in Psalms 139, verse 16, I was so amazed at how many commentators, specifically one who actually said that this is not talking about Jesus. But I believe that this 139th Psalm is speaking of Christ. In verse 16 when it says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And as we learned, was it this morning or last night? It means not fully matured. It doesn't mean insufficient or not perfect. It means unmatured. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book... All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The Lord saw Christ. He saw Him in His role as mediator, as substitute, as our high priest. He saw Him as our sacrifice. But He saw His people in Christ Jesus, although we had not yet been manifested. Just as we go back again into Genesis and we see that before Eve was ever brought forth out of the side of Adam, the Bible said that God blessed them. Before there was a them, there was only a Him, but yet God said He blessed them and called their name Adam. All the blessings were given to Adam but his wife that was in him was recipient of the promise just as much, even though she had not been made manifest. Brethren, Ephesians tells us that we were blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. We, before we were even manifested as His people, were blessed. And it's being manifested now. I believe this is what it's talking about. God did see my substance yet being unperfect. It hadn't matured yet. It hadn't made mani- been, been made manifest yet. But yet all the members were there. Everyone was blessed. And in thy book all my members were written. David didn't have a book of members written. 
But yet Christ does. That from the foundation of the world, names were written in the book of life. His people are written down. Matter of fact, if we take the the foreshadowing and the symbology of the Old Testament, they're engraved in His hands. They're engraved upon the stones, upon on on the breastplate, upon the shoulders. Christ is carrying His people as love for His people. He has His people and He knows them by name. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God, before the foundation of the world, knew not only Christ, but knew His people. And because that was His purpose and counsel of Christ being the head, being the representative of His people, His counsel cannot change. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 22, the Bible said, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. The Lord Jesus, before the foundation of the world, took on this role as mediator, and God's counsel cannot change. He didn't change His mind. What God determined in eternity and that immutable purpose that God brought forth in Christ Jesus being a substitute for His people and the head and representative of them did not change even though Adam fell, even though men were sinful, even though His own people were vile and sinful people, God's love did not change. Christ continued in that office that He took within the covenant of God. Thank God Christ didn't change His mind and decide, you know, let me just shed this body, go back to where I was, Receiving all the glory. Why am I here being spit upon? Being rejected? My beard being plucked out? My back being to the smiters? Why am I here being falsely accused? Blasphemed against? He could just give it up all at once, but He didn't. The Bible said that He set His face like a flint and He went to the cross. And the Bible said that He rejoiced and they had found joy despising the shame, but He did it because He loved His people and because He's God and He cannot lie and He can't go back on His Word. So therefore we find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, the Scripture says, Him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Could that have changed? Could, could Pharaoh, have, or not Pharaoh, could Pilate have said, you know what, that really is a pretty good guy. I think I'm going to... I'm going to protect him and not let the, you know, Pharaoh. I mean, uh, Pilate. He 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 even came to Jesus. He said, "You know that I can change all this if you want. You just say the word, and I can change all this." Jesus said, "You don't have any power except the power that's been given to you, my Father. You can't do anything except what my Father gives you to do, has purpose for you to do. And what did God purpose?" Wicked men with wicked hands crucifying and slaying Him. God's counsel still stood. It couldn't have been changed. Barabbas? Nope, it was set before the foundation of the world. Judas? Set before the foundation of the world. Peter denying Christ? Set before the foundation of the world. Hey, even the ones that He loved. John, His mother, the ones that came to the cross... Could they have changed anything? Not a thing. It was all set in motion. 
In Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 and 28, the Bible says, For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Did Adam change God's plan? No, it was determined before the foundation of the world. We see it here in Acts. That right there might be talking about immediately what was going on with the crucifixion. But brethren, that is commentary on the fact that Adam didn't change anything. God had a purpose in why Adam entered into the world. And death and sin by Adam... So that the second Adam, by his righteousness, we might have life. Death came by Adam, but life came by Jesus Christ, brethren. We should be excited about that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, Having predestinated us, predestinated us, not post-destinated us. God didn't post-destinate anybody. He predestinated. Pre-before, destinated, if you want to allow me that, to determine beforehand. Everyone's destiny has been determined, but it was pre. Not in eschatological sense, but in a timely sense. Before everything. I guess that could be eschatological. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to what? The good pleasure of His will. His will cannot change. It does not change. I hear a lot of people talking about two wills of God. I only know of one will. And His will will be done. I hear a lot of people say, well, that's out of the will of God. Is it really? If God has declared all things then from the beginning, can there be really anything out of the will of God? Is it sin? (laughs) Yeah, it can be sin. It can be a transgression. But it's not out of God's will. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. The counsel of His will will stand. Why? Because God cannot lie. And He has declared all things then from the beginning. Before man even put his hand to anything. Romans 8, I'll try to hurry. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. There's that word again. Does the Bible really teach predestination? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Does... The people that God foreknew change. It's immutable. And I say again, I'll play the devil's advocate. If, if, if God looks down the corridor of time and sees who would choose Him and then decides to elect them, if that was true, what God foresees cannot be changed. Therefore, it's just as much set in that skewed view of election as it is in the biblical view of election. It's just as fixed. So the rank Arminian doesn't get away with the fact that God chooses. 
It's God's choice that fixes all things. Matter of fact, if you think about it, their God that they serve, who looks down the corridor of time and then elects, who is a horrible God for not giving someone a chance and sending them to hell without a choice, knew they wouldn't choose Him, but still created them anyway. See, men try to get God off the hook for something God doesn't need to be get gotten off the hook for. Men try to bring God down to their level and conform Him to their image. And as I mentioned last night, this is the Word of God. This reveals who God is. Romans 9.23 says, "...and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy." That would be you and I, right? If we are Christ's. But look at this, brethren, which he had afore prepared unto glory. God afore prepared us unto glory. Not only to share in that glory, and I don't understand that at all, because the Bible says God will not share his glory with anybody, but also that we might behold that glory. Brethren, we have in this time the ability to behold the glory of God that the reprobate can't. Because we've been given spiritual eyes. But brethren, there's going to come a time after all things are settled and the wicked have been taken away that we are going to fully behold the glory of God forever and ever and ever. I don't understand how that can be either. But praise the Lord. He's promised it. (coughs) 1 Corinthians 2.7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Here again we see that God has ordained this gospel, has ordained this salvation. It's a mystery, but to us, it's no longer a mystery. But this mystery, God has revealed unto us, and He's revealed the fact that He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our words, but according to His purpose and grace that He's given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And it cannot change because God cannot change. Acts 13.48, the verse that the Lord really used to convert me to believe the truth of the gospel. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life Believe, brethren, can that change? The ones who have been ordained to eternal life, can that change? It cannot. And lastly, for we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Brethren, are we going to live in the good of that gospel? (laughs) Is the Spirit going to produce in us that spiritual work? Is that going to change? If you read more, is it going to change? If you study more, is it going to change? No, it's going to work in the order and in the way and in the time of God's choosing. The Bible says that Christ is the one who measures out the measure of faith. Can you build that up faster and faster? No. Christ is going to measure that out. He may decide tomorrow, Mike, I'm going to give you 2% faith. 
so that you might learn your dependence upon me. Your need for me. Then some days he may give me 90% faith so that I might be able to be a testimony to others to trust in Christ no matter what the case is. The hills and the valleys, God has determined. Right, brother Tom? He's determined all of it. Why? For His purpose. Which is eternal. Which is immutable. But brethren, it's also for our good. And so He has created us. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. And I've said this before. We're going to sin every sin that Christ died for, no matter, no more and no less. But brethren, we're going to have every good work that God has before ordained. We're going to work every good work that the Spirit works within us, no more and no less. What God has determined, God will carry out, and God will receive glory for all of it. Thank you, dear brother. Good, good, good.